Well, we'll get to the text in a few minutes here. Uh, I want to start with a quick story of, uh, in case you get close enough to me today, you can see a little scrape right here and down here. Uh, it's just a quick illustration of how, how far sometimes I will go so that people think I'm great or important. We were out tubing yesterday at Whitnell Park. If, if you've ever been at Whitnell, they, have a, they just have a nice place where you can get some good air. And we had the tubes out, and somebody had built a, a jump right at the, the, the top of the first uh, hump there, and we were getting some good air. We had the tubes out, and we were doubling up on the tubes. And later in the day, we decided, let's go single, single rider. And uh, you know, I was, you know, I can run and jump on the tube, and I got some really good air this this time when I went. And I came back up, and one of my daughters said that the, the people were all like she was laying down, so she didn't get to see it. But the people, she heard all the people go, "Oh, that." So that was in the back of my head, right? Like the people like that, I can do better. So we had one more run left, and we decided to do singles again. I thought, all right, I'm really going to give him a show. I'm going to be, I'm going to be important today. For one moment, people are going to think that guy knows how to tube really well. So I, you know, barreled down, and I was getting amazing air. And at this last split second, I did something foolish. I took the tube in the air and I shifted it down a little bit. And as soon as I hit the ground, I face planted my face, and then I actually somersaulted over. And I, the crowd did do a, whoa, <laughs> but it was more like, are you okay? Now everybody's asking if I'm okay, and I had to do the walk of shame to the van. But uh, you know, it's just how, how far I'll go. Like, I want people to think I'm great, and it's just in me. And what we see in this text is something very interesting. We have two scenes where Jesus seems to avoid the crowds. People are gathering to him. They want to see all the miracles that he's doing, and he actually avoids them. And it actually seems that Jesus uh, actually avoided the people that were looking for his miracles, but not wanting his, uh, what, would you, what would you say, his mastery. And he avoided the crowds that wanted his messianic miracles, but not his messianic mastery, meaning that they didn't really want him to be king over them, the authority over them. They just wanted some benefits that Jesus, Jesus could give them. They didn't want to actually fall in line and come underneath his wing and just say, yeah, Jesus, whatever you do, whatever you command me, I will do that. Or we might say it that Mark is early in his book trying to demonstrate that Jesus calls people to be his followers, not his fans. And followers meaning like to be maturing followers of Jesus or disciples or worshipers, people that wholesale give themselves to Jesus. Jesus is looking for followers, not fans. You know, if you're a fan of, you know, a musician or an athlete or an actor or actress, that's sort of one where we, we sort of pick and choose, right? It's selective in terms of where we're going to give these people, like, appreciation and submit to them, Right? So if you have a favorite musician or something and they wear certain clothes or something, you might say, hey, that's kind of cool. I'm going to come underneath them and let them lead me in that. But I mean, just imagine if the musician shows up and they start telling you, you need to spend your money this way and you need to, to use your time this way. All of a sudden you're like, whoa, hold on a second. Who do you think you are? Like, that's, that's not what this is about. I'm, I'm your fan. I appreciate something you do, but you don't have authority over me like that. And then there's what Jesus is calling followers to say, no, I am the king. Everything I command is what you are to do. Or, you know, fans, uh, 
it, it, t it tends to be like a part-time thing, right? It's, we kind of show up when we want to, and there's something going on that we like. It's not something we always like think about, you know, if you like some sports team or something like that, and maybe it pops up through, through the middle of the week or something, but it's not all the time. It's part-time. But the followers that Jesus is, is looking for, it's absolute. It's 24-7. He's not, he's not calling us to, to just kind of give selective time periods of the, of the week. This is everything. Now, there's people that will enter into Sunday morning services all over the world today that are fans of Jesus. They aren't true followers, though. Sometimes they'll do some really powerful things. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 7. People will, will they'll, they'll meet him on that last, last day and they'll say, we cast out demons in your name. We did miracles in your name. And what will Jesus say to them? Away from me. I never knew you. There's lots of fans of Jesus. It's different from being a follower. Now, the hard reality is that even those who are true followers of Christ, who have been bought with the blood of Christ, who have submitted to him and offered their lives to Christ and trusted in him, placed their faith and hope in him to be made right with God, even, even in those of us who have done that, there's this little fan that still lurks around and pokes its head and wheels its sword that just says, well, there's certain aspects of my life that I'm really not comfortable with Jesus having absolute authority over. Let's leave that to me. So it might, it might be something about a relationship that you really want to hold on to, and, but maybe God's calling you, this is not the type of relationship for you if you're one of my people, specifically talking to the unmarried. Or maybe there's a relationship that is hard, and God's saying, no, like you are called to live in this to demonstrate my grace and mercy to this person. Or maybe it's a career that you've looked for and you finally got and you're excited about and it will set you up for some really good comfort in the future. And God is saying, I, I don't want you to be in this career long term. I have something else for you and that's hard for you to walk away. Or maybe there's a job that you're at that you don't like that God is saying, no, no, I want you here to demonstrate my grace to these people. Yes, it's hard, but this is where you are for this time. Or maybe God's calling you to live in absolute obscurity. And that's hard because you want to be known. You want to, people to applaud you and think you're important. Or maybe God's calling you to leave some of the luxuries of life in our culture behind. So you can spend your money in other ways and your time in other ways. And that's hard for you to grasp. Or maybe God's calling you to a particular season of suffering where certain things are stripped away from you. Things that you love and care for. And yet this is an opportunity to serve Christ and honor Christ and demonstrate his ability to care for his people and be the good shepherd. Maybe God's calling you to repent to someone in particular who you're nervous to repent to because maybe they'll just kind of rub that in your face. And so you want to not do that, even though Christ is calling you to. Or maybe you, God's calling you to forgive someone that has really pained you and it actually feels better to hold it over their head. All sorts of ways that we sort of just say, well, okay, Jesus, I'll, I'll do anything you want, but this part, let's just leave this alone for a minute. But Christ is calling followers, not fans. 
So we'll walk through this text. Uh, I, I want to ask, uh, encourage us to think through a question here. I'm going to actually go through the text a little bit different. We're not going to go straight through, and we'll bounce around a little bit. Uh, I'm going to read it again. Ask this question as you read it. What, what surprises you in the passage, and what do you think would surprise some of the early audiences? Because they've read it. What jumps out is like, well, that's, I wasn't expecting that. Let's go ahead and read it again. It's a nice short passage. We'll read it again and read it through the sermon a little bit. Uh, Verse 35, and rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and spread to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. So what, what surprises you in this passage I think the, the first one that might stand out the most, uh, which I think especially to the original audience uh, would stand out, is this whole idea of the leper being cleansed. The, this messianic miracle, this authority that Jesus has is to cleanse the leper, which might actually just go right past us uh, because we don't experience leprosy a whole lot. So we should at least think about what leprosy is or was so leprosy, in the biblical context, uh, that was more like a collective word, a collective noun, it, describing many different types of skin diseases. Some have estimated 70-plus plus types of skin diseases. So somebody would have some sort of a rash or something major happening on their skin, and they would have to go to the priest to find out what was going on. And the priest then would declare, uh, through a series of protocols, uh, whether or not this person had leprosy or not, and then there were certain steps to take from there. Now, the ritual itself was at least eight days long in order to find this out or to be declared clean. So the lep- leprosy was sometimes, uh, was oftentimes thought to be a curse from God because when it shows up in the Old Testament, uh, several times that's what it is. So if you remember, Miriam uh, was cursed by God with leprosy, or uh, King Uzziah was cursed with leprosy at the end of his life. And leprosy only shows up a couple other times. You have Naaman uh, from the neighboring country from Syria, and then Moses for that split second, remember? Uh, his hand is, comes out and it's leprosy, he puts it back in, it comes out, it's not, right? That, that was to demonstrate uh, God's power. Uh, so that's just simply what it was, but what people experienced when they were a leper was absolute isolation. So Leviticus 13 and 14, uh, describe all of the the leprosy protocols. And let me just read this one part here, just so you can hear what the leper was supposed to do if they were declared to have leprosy. 
This is in chapter 13, verse 46. It says, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So this is an incredibly isolating disease for someone to have because you couldn't live in the community. In fact, uh, they were said, said that they couldn't live within a walled city. So they had to live outside the camp and uh, externally demonstrate that they were unclean with the, the clothes torn and their hair kind of all a mess. And if somebody was coming from afar, uh, they would have to cover because of the, the possible contagions and, and tell people as they're coming, I'm unclean, I'm, I'm, I'm clean, stay away from me. So if you can just think, I mean, just for a moment, if you had to do that for two weeks, I mean, think if you had COVID at the early stages and you were quarantined. I mean, the thought of that for us was very hard. Like, wait, what? Like, you could be quarantined in your own house and not, not be able to go by people? Or think if you walked into, you know, a, a restaurant or a store that was open in that early stage and you just, you just sneezed. I mean, what people would do, I mean, they would run from you. And this, this was the life for those people. And that's still like we can come in close quarters. Uh, some writings have, have demonstrated that they were supposed to keep 50 feet away with, you know, normal uh, weather. Uh, but if the wind was, was uh, no, that's 50 feet if the wind was coming at you, if the, wind was going to, no, if the wind was going away from you, that's what it is. If the wind was going, like, behind your back, going towards the people, it's 150 feet away. I mean, we're, we have to really keep our distance here. It means like they're not being touched, no physical contact, no close communication. I mean, it's incredibly isolating. The only other people that would possibly come near you would be another leper. You know, we see in Luke 17 where there's a a group of 10 lepers that were living together. This is an incredibly isolating uh, skin disease to have. Uh, And not only that, but it's also considered incurable. So in the Old Testament, you only have a few times where Leprosy is actually cured, but it's thought to be only possibly cured by God. So a, a priest couldn't cure you. All a priest could do is tell you that you're unclean or clean. That's all they could do. In fact, if you remember in, uh, in 2 Kings, if you remember when uh, Naaman uh, comes with, by the le- with a letter from the king of, Assyria, of, of Syria to the king of Israel saying that he has leprosy and he's coming for the healing, the king of Israel freaks out. He's like, what am I, am I God that I can heal this man? What's he trying to start to start a quarrel with me? In fact, the, the priests back in the day used to say that to have leprosy was to be like the walking dead. And they would say that it was easier to raise someone from the dead than to cure them from, from leprosy. This was something out of the realms of any kind of healing. This was not possible. So they're incredibly isolated. It's totally incurable. Now what's interesting about what's happening here in our our encounter in verse 40, look at what it says, and the leper came to him. So already we have a a dangerous situation. I mean, you can try to think what's going on in the disciples' mind. In walks this leper, and he comes right next to Jesus, close enough for Jesus to reach out his hand and touch him. And he begins imploring him, Rather than doing the unclean, unclean, he's begging Jesus to cleanse him, to make him clean. And then look at what it says in verse 41. 
Arch translates this. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, said, I am, well, I will be clean. This moved with pity. Uh, most likely in the original, that's actually this idea of being angry. Jesus had this stirred anger, uh, but this would be like a righteous anger at, at the torment and pain and isolation that is, this has caused. You remember when Jesus weeps at the, the death of Lazarus, at, at the pain that this has caused all the people? This, this uh, reality of, that sin has brought into the world is destroying the image of God, right? And so that's probably what's going on. That's why the translators have, have moved to, towards this pity idea, this compassion. It's this, it's this righteous anger in Jesus that, that causes him to move and reach out and touch him. Nobody has probably touched this man in years, maybe over a decade. And Jesus, before he even cl- cleanses him, first touches him. And we see incredible, incredible compassion from the Lord to heal this man and touch him and give him the physical touch of care. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what you have in your soul, these dark places. There's probably some things represented in this room that you would be terrified for anybody else to know. There's places in many of us that we keep locked. There's things you've done, places you've gone, that you feel deep inside of you that you're too contaminated, right? And you're afraid to let that out so other people might see it because it's terrifying. You don't know how other people are going to respond. And if that's you, you're in the right place because you've come to the right one. This is the Lord Jesus, the compassionate one, the unexpected king that comes and touches lepers. And instead of him becoming unclean, the leper becomes clean. This is who this Jesus is. And I don't know your dark stories, but this one does. And he does not look at you and say, you're too contaminated for me. You stay away. He says, come close. I am willing. Be clean under my blood, under my care. You may be washed white as snow. Oh, sinner, there's much, much grace from this Savior. The other thing to see in the story then is the fact that just by simply speaking, this man's cleansed. This is, this is Mark ramping up the authority of Jesus here. If you remember in verses 14 to 15 of chapter 1, Jesus comes on the scene and says, the kingdom of God is here. Repent and believe in the good news. Then the next scene, we see him call his followers. Then he goes into the synagogue, and what does he do? The kingdom of God has authority over the kingdom of Satan, and he casts out the demon. Doesn't even let the demon speak. Then he goes to Simon's house, casts out the fever, and here we see Jesus with authority now over only the thing that God can heal. There's no cantation, there's no special formula that will heal this. Only God's hand will fix this. And that's who's on display here, Jesus with his authority. One, this is the, the messianic miracle that's being on display. If you remember John the Baptist, after he gets arrested, remember? He is, he's he's kind of confused because you know, maybe he thought the, when the kingdom of God came, this was going to look differently. Now John finds himself locked up, and so he sends some of his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one? Remember that? And what did Jesus respond? 
says, go tell John. The lame walk, the deaf are made to hear, the blind are made to see, and the leper is cleansed. Messiah is here. The time is now. God's visitation has come with the arrival of Christ. And so what's on, on display here is a very messianic miracle. God's visitation has come in Messiah, and his authority is on full display. Now, again, I think in the first audience, this would have been a major surprise. This is who Christ is. This is his authority, and this is his compassion. Not only has a compassion to heal the contaminated, but actually the power to cleanse them. What's interesting, though, is, how, is the role that this miracle then seems to play in this narrative. Because this doesn't seem to actually be the centerpiece, like this is what we're really supposed to see. What Mark starts to do in this part of his book is to give us a little bit of a window of how unexpected this king is and how people are responding to this. So the second surprise I see is actually in the first section there. Uh, it, it's the fact that Jesus went away from the crowds. He has this kind of compassion, this kind of power, and he goes away from the crowds. And actually, who's surprised in the, in the passage is the disciples. They don't get this. So you have to remember the scene uh, which Kirk preached on last week. Uh, they were in the synagogue, which is right on the Sabbath. Jesus silences the demon, casts out the demon. Remember what the crowd said then, all the people in the synagogue. Such authority in his teaching. And he even tells the demons to be silent. His authority over demons. But then, remember, the, now everybody goes home. Jesus goes to Peter's house, heals Peter's mother-in-law. But that's all in private. But what happens out in the town? I mean, people left the synagogue and the buzz is going, right? I mean, the, all, all the, the noise is started about who this man is, the, the authority that he has. And by evening fall, after the, the, the sun goes down, People swarm to the house, and this is possibly ours, right? And now you've got to think about the disciples here. They're probably thinking, this is, this is amazing. We were fishermen yesterday. Now look at us. We're riding on the coattails. This is, this is ministry at its finest. I mean, this is swarms of people to come and see Jesus' miracles. So that went late on into the night, no doubt. And verse 35 then, rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departs the scene. He went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. This is the only place to find some quiet and be with the Father. Simon and those who were with him, they, they wake up. Jesus is nowhere to be found. And they searched for him. You could actually translate that sort of like a Put on a manhunt. They were, they were after him. And they found him, and they said to him, this is now a veiled rebuke, Peter. Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, let us go out to the next town. And I may preach there also, for that's why I came. And he went out throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. 
What's interesting here is, is Peter is the very one that will show up in chapter 8, rebuking Jesus, remember. Peter coming forward. And this, this, this veiled rebuke to Jesus. What are you doing? Like, we have a good thing happening over there. You're here to perform the miracles. Everybody's loving it. You're the star of the show. We're enjoying it too. Let's go. You need to get back there. And yet Jesus seems to actually totally avoid it. Go more into obscurity. Now, me personally, I have a lot of sympathy for the disciples here. They do not understand Christ. They seem to think that it would be better for him to get his name out there. We got a great thing going here. And I think they like to feel important too, which we'll actually see later in the book. They're always arguing about who's the greatest, who gets to sit at your right hand in your kingdom, right? We're better than them. Should, they were doing something in your name. Should we call fire down from heaven to destroy them? They, they want to be great. And Jesus will just give them that. And what the disciples really aren't any different from the crowds at this point. The crowds want Jesus for his miracles, not for his mastery. So Jesus flees them. But the disciples are acting just like them. They want Jesus because it makes them feel important. So Jesus, get back to the town. We don't want to go off into more obscurity. We want to look important too. You know, I, I'm just like them as well, my, myself. I remember in uh, 2009, uh, for some of you might remember, uh, we did a missions trip to uh, Honduras uh, with some, some of the missionary, uh, missionary couple we used to support here, uh, the Smokes. And uh, we were digging trenches to, to bring water, uh, like a water spigot to each, each home on a, the very poor village living on the side of the mountain. And uh, with Larry, Larry Smoke, the missionary there, uh, we were kind of, our teams were near each other as we're digging and we had paused to take a break. Uh, the locals there, they didn't need no breaks, but we needed breaks. So Larry and I are taking a break and uh, Larry has lived in, in Honduras for a number of years at this, this point. And I don't know why he said this. I just remember I didn't like it. He said to me, he said, you know, Dan, I just... I just want to live here and just die in this soil. I want to preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. And I thought my, to myself, dude, you've been in this heat too long. Something is going wrong. And that has, that has lodged in me, and it's haunted me, because that's the farthest thing of what I want to do. I don't want to die and be forgotten. I want to die and be remembered and known, thought to be great. It's just something so far in me that I'll even, I'll, I'll even try to just get applause by tubing, right? And just anything so that people think I'm important or significant. And I'll even use Jesus to get it. And it's really quite alarming. There's times where I can, I can be praying and asking God, God, allow this this text and this, this sermon to be, to be really ministered in the lives of your people, which is true. There's a part of that that I want it to be true. But part of the reason I want it to be true is that people think I'm great. It's, it's terif terrifying. I mean, think about it. Maybe, some, maybe you do this sometimes when you're praying in small group or something, and it's going around in a circle, and you're two people away, and rather than actually be listening and praying with the person... You're actually thinking about what you're going to pray. Now, the words, the words you're going to use. Why? Because you want to sound good. 
we'll use anything just so that we feel better and we're not embarrassed. And if Jesus helps us get that, sure, great, we'll do that. We'll tap into that. I mean, there will be times in, uh, that I'm praying and, I'm, and I feel like, oh, this is actually a real moment of spiritual growth. And I actually feel like something real is going on. I can't wait to share this as an illustration because I just want to get it out. I was at the gym yesterday thinking about this and uh, just really uh, the Lord helping me see more and more just how deep this is in me. Uh, I was thinking, you know, man, what would probably be good for me some, sometimes is just that I just crossway fire me and they just say, you're not, you're not a good pastor. Like, it's time for you to move on. So, I, so I'm thinking like, you know, maybe, maybe that will happen. They'll just say, this is your last sermon, no more of these, right? Okay. And then I thought, so then I, I was like, well, you know, then what will happen? That would probably be good for my humility. That will really humble me more. And probably what would happen, oh, I know, that that would be, that'd be good. Because then this would, this would be a great story. Because like for a couple years, I'll kind of lay low. And then finally, I'll, it'll all snap together. And find, I'll go find a, a church. And I'll preach there. My preaching will be amazing. And it'll be an awesome story. Because it'll be like, wow, look how Dan raised, raised to fame eventually. I thought, like, that's how deep this is. This is so bad. And if Jesus will help me get that, then I'll use him for that. It's just the reality of how much we want Jesus for the wrong reasons sometimes. And how, how these, these parts of us, we want to close off to him. Or the parts where we want to pursue something... We want a good relationship, we want a good career, we want safety, we want health, we want security. If Jesus can get us that, fine. We'll take him. But that's as far as it goes. So the disciples are quite surprised uh, by what's going on. Uh, and the, the last surprise I would point to uh, is the, the final portion of the passage, which is the leper's response. Now what's interesting here, after Jesus heals the man, you might think, whew, the story kind of, like we, we, we have the solution. The man was begging for a miracle. God heals him. That's, that's amazing. But then Jesus, uh, look at the, the text there, verse 43. He sternly charged him. So this is like strong language. Basically saying, hey, li- look at me. You listen to this. This is not optional. I'm going to give you a command. And I'm asking you to do this wholesale. You got that? Listen to this command. And he tells them, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priests and offer your cleansing, what, for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now what Jesus has just commanded them, or the man, is probably going to be a two to three week process. Because in order to demonstrate this to the priests, he has to go actually to the temple in Jerusalem, which is about 60 miles to the south. So Jesus is going to have, or this leper now, is going to have to walk. At, at a good pace, you get 20 miles a day. Maybe 15, depending on some of the terrain or your fatigue. So you're talking at best three days, most likely more like five to six. You get there. This is at minimum an eight-day process because there has to be, first you demonstrate, you go show yourself, then there's a waiting period, then you come back, show yourself again, and then you have to offer sacrifice and such. So it's at minimum an eight-day process. Uh, so that's if everything goes perfect. 
So it's eight days at least, uh, and then you gotta walk back. So you're talking like a two to three week process. This man's just been healed. Probably you could physically see it. Now what went on in his mind, I have no idea. But he see, doesn't seem to really appreciate the command. Jesus says, don't tell anybody, but I want you to walk down to Jerusalem and show the priest. Now in doing that, that would actually be a very amazing thing in the, in the, in the passage, because what, what the priest would have to do if this man showed up and he was cleansed of leprosy, what does that say to the priest? God is in your midst. Only God can cure leprosy. And so this would be a testimony. It actually says, I want you to go be a testimony to them, a proof to them. A proof to who? To the priest. So that the priest would have to declare with their own mouths, the man that healed this, this man is God's visitation. So this is meant to further the mission that way. But this man had other ideas. What's the text say? Verse 45. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and spread the news. So that the mission, at least horizontally, you see, could no longer, Jesus could no longer enter a town. Jesus said he wanted to go and preach in all the other towns. Now he can't. Because this man had a different idea. And actually, that, that word there, that he went and talked freely, it's the same word translated as preaching up in verses 38 and 30, 39. So Jesus said, let's go to the other town so that I can preach. He went through all their uh, preaching. And now who's preaching in the passage? The man with the, who was just healed of leprosy. See, this, somehow this guy had the idea that his... Uh, his his view of the command, he could soften a little, adjust it a little bit and kind of approach it his own way and it would be fine. It actually hampers the mission of Jesus. Now, I'd love to be able to read that and think, man, what a scoundrel that guy is. Does, he, he, he won't even like take Jesus' command and just go do it. But I see myself right there. Right there. Jesus gives me certain commands. He calls me to do certain things, and I want to massage that a little bit. Maybe I can adjust that just a tad. I remember uh, one of the first times this was very exposed to me. Uh, well, actually, it wasn't exposed originally. It took a couple of years. God was gracious to me. But uh, it was 2004 uh, where God was, through a series of circumstances, calling me back to go to, go to seminary, and, uh, which I was very eager to do. I wanted to learn more of the Bible, and I wanted to learn how to teach people to read the Bible in particular. That was, has always been my passion. And so, uh, not verbally, but quite clear, I told the Lord uh, in doing that, that uh, I told the Lord, okay, I, I will, as I go and get more training, I say this, Lord, I will go anywhere you tell me to go. I will do anything you tell me to do, except I will not be a pastor. As long as we're good on that, let's go. And you see what I did there. There's just this small place of me that, that that's sort of untouchable. And sadly, we do that all too often. There's parts of us that we don't want Jesus to touch. And I think Mark, early in this book, helping us to see that the followers Jesus is actually calling for is not those who are interested in Jesus kind of serving them with you know, these miracles are all these things that we want. 
but who actually want Jesus as master over them. That's the true follower that Jesus is after. So I ask again, does Jesus have full permission over your life? That he can come in at any nook and cranny and say, we're going to do this for my glory and for your good. You don't have to have, you don't, your opinion doesn't have to agree with it, but this is what Jesus is calling you to do. Now, as we close, I, one of the things I like to think about here in this passage is, you know, Mark, uh, many people think that Mark is writing th- sort of like through the lens of Peter, as Mark ran with Peter. And uh, I love that thought. Um, for sure, Mark knew Peter, and I'm sure heard Peter tell these stories. If we look at this encounter, and the encounter in chapter 8, when Jesus is confronted by one of his disciples for suffering. Who is the one at the front of it? It's Peter. Peter describes the story, as best we can tell then, as telling the story not as just a simple we. We, the disciples, we confronted Jesus, but he puts himself right there. You, 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 want, you want, in other words, like Peter's older now. Mark, you want to know what kind of a guy I am? I rebuked Jesus twice. That's, that's who I am. Don't think too highly of me. I don't have it all together. In Mark, I have nothing to hide. Because here's the reality. Just as Jesus traded places with that leper physically, right? That leper was living in desolate places, and now Jesus is the one living in desolate places where the, the leper's going into the cities. Jesus traded places with me, of my spiritual leprosy. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might be the righteousness of God. And Mark, I have nothing to hide. And brothers and sisters, we have nothing to hide. As Christ calls us to be followers, we have nothing. We, there's no reason to put up a front and act like we have it together. We should assume there are things that we're holding back. There are places where we're afraid for Jesus to touch. And we bring them out to the light and say, yeah, that's me. Yes, I'm exposed. But, but I'm accepted before God, not, not, not based on how great of a follower I am, but because of Christ's death on my behalf. And he has called me into fellowship with him. And so this, this is not meant to be a call like, you must follow Jesus, but come. Enjoy the mastery of Christ. Once again, let us reorient our hearts to come underneath his wing, underneath his care, and say, yes, Lord, you can have all of me. And with that, we'll turn towards the Lord's Supper. The Lord's table, we, we remember that, that we were the leprous. We were the ones that were unclean. But by the blood of Christ, by the broken body of Christ, we have been made clean. The Lord's table is open to all who walk with Jesus, who say, yes, I may not be perfect, but I'm striving to walk in repentant faith with Christ. If that's you, then the table is open uh, to you. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't worship him as the king, then we ask that you not partake. Or if you're here today and you say, you know what? There, there are parts of me that are off limits to Christ, and I'm really not willing to submit to them at this time. Uh, then we would ask that you not partake as well. But if you're God's people 
stumbling along in repentant faith, then we invite you to the table. Please come forward, grab the elements, and return to your seat, and we'll partake together. Brothers and sisters, as we partake of the bread, we were reminded that we were the spiritually leprous. We were the ones contaminated, unclean, unclean. And yet he who knew no sin became sin so that we might be the righteousness of God. Brothers and sisters, you have been cleansed, white as snow. For the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread And after giving thanks, he broke it, saying, This is my body, which is for you. And Jesus says the cup is the new covenant, so we are reminded uh, that to be called to be followers of Christ is an invitation that we can actually pursue with joy. Because the new covenant, we have been given new hearts in the Holy Spirit and the power to actually walk in the good commands that God gives his people. So let us not hear God's commands as burdensome, but freedom that God empowers us to pursue. From the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup, it is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as as you drink of it in remembrance of me.